Hello and welcome to the Pursuit of Infinity podcast hosted by Joe and Josh, and I'm Josh. Today I have an interview with Michelle Ann Hobart, who is a writer, teacher, coach, and therapist with a BS in biology, MA in philosophy, cosmology, and consciousness from CIIS. She also has written two books, Becoming Sacred Space and Holding Sacred Space and links to all of the coaching courses that she offers will be in the show notes. But before we get to that, I would just like to request and ask if anybody would like to, to please give this episode and this podcast a five-star rating on whichever podcast provider you listen to. And if you so choose, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash pursuit of infinity also we're on instagram at pursuit of infinity pod so without further ado please welcome our guest today michelle ann hobart Michelle, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. So good to have you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for reaching out and giving me an opportunity to share some of the things that are really on my heart and that I'm really passionate about. So I've been looking forward to it. Um, so why don't we start out by uh, you just describing who you are and what you do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's funny because there's been so many, you know, manifestations of who I am and, and what I do. And what I'm noticing is since my experience, more of my different aspects of myself are starting to come together. It's like, I feel like it, the work itself is integration, right? We talk a lot, a lot about that in different fields, whether it's spiritual emergence and emergency, or we talk about it within psychedelics. But I feel like it's true that like, we are given these gifts. For me, it was like this interest in love of biology. You know, I started out, you know, um, as a biology teacher, and then I, I wanted to expand to the subtle realms. And I did philosophy, cosmology, and consciousness at CIS. And that was when I first, you know, came into contact with Stan's work. Um, and then, yeah, I really feel like you know, since then it was like, I wanted to deepen into the body. So I did body work and I noticed that in doing body work, I was having a lot of exchanges of energy. So that was when I would say my spiritual emergence really started to kick off was when I noticed how porous those of us who are sensitive are to energies and to other realms, you know? And so I wanted to start deepening into that and understanding that with the mind of a biologist, with the heart of a biologist. And so I bring that into this work, right? That we talk about the subtle ecologies. So that is something that is still very present for me when I'm working with people who are in spiritual emergence. And we'll get into a little bit more about what that is and what that means. But just to say it's a framework that is another way of understanding what happens when people are going into these openings 
um, instead of the pathology paradigm being the only option. So, so I work with folks um, as a spiritual emergence coach. Uh, I am also a school counselor right now, uh, which is amazing working with teens and working with a progressive school that is just really open to um, understanding like, you know, the need for uh, neurodiversity as a framework um, and uh, just all types of diversity and the power dynamics that, that underlie systems of oppression. Um, and yeah, so those are some of the things that I'm working on now. I am going to study and uh, sit for the exam for the LMFT uh, next summer for the marriage and family therapist. I was on the fence whether or not I was going to do a license, but I think I'm going to go ahead and do it. So that's where I'm at with my work right now. Yeah. I wish you luck with that. Thank um, you. So I first discovered you um, via a class offered by Psychedelics Today called Integrating Psychedelics and Navigating Psychedelics for Clinicians and Therapists. And I saw your lecture on spiritual emergence, which was very interesting to me. Um, so can we go into a little bit of what spiritual emergence is? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and from what I remember about that time is that I was combining a lot of the work because I used to have a wellness center. So working with the energy work and the self-care and um, bringing all of those tools into the way I understand what we're doing when we're, when we're working with spiritual emergence, because it's such a sensitive state. And so what I mean by, by spiritual emergence is, um, and we can say it's, um, spontaneous or induced right and that's the way that i kind of hold it which is that sometimes people go into openings let's say it's a near-death experience or traumatic experience or a kundalini awakening from let's say somebody you know is, is gets shaktipat or someone goes into a 10-day vipassana retreat and has an opening where they're starting to have experiences what we call either extraordinary experiences or extreme state experiences um, most people in the dominant paradigm would look at that and say they're having hallucinations they're delusional etc right and they would say they need to be hospitalized that's like this sort of the, the the state of things in in mainstream mental health right but what we're saying is that there's actually another possibility of what's going on and it is a spiritual experience a spiritual type of opening and there's actually different categories of spiritual emergence which you know we go over kyle and i go over in our awakening healers course um but just to say that the ones that i mainly um have folks gravitate to me because the way that i hold the work is that we go through these experiences because we're going to be in service in that way Right, so kundalini awakening, near-death experience, and psychic opening. Those are the main trifecta of areas that I work when people are opening into their intuitive gifts, feeling overwhelmed, feeling they don't know how to sort out all the data that they're receiving on all the levels, and it becomes ungrounding and destabilizing and potentially troubling for other people in their lives as well. And so sometimes we're dealing with it, and we're always really dealing with it on a systemic level like whether it's a family system, a partnership, community, right? Or just culture in general right now, what we're dealing with collectively. Yeah. So what are some of the causes that you see of a spiritual emergence or what we see as a spiritual emergency, which yes. is sort of like um, the, for lack of a better word, the negative side of a spiritual emergence experience? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's that's great. And and thank you for drawing that out because that's one of the things too that I want to mention is that the way I think of it, just like I kind of do everything, is that there's a continuum, right? And the continuum is based on two things. It's the inner experience of what's happening and how how manageable that is or unmanageable that is to integrate. Um, and then also how it is, how people are being received by the outer world, right? And so whether it goes into spiritual emergency has to do with both of those factors, right? What's going on? Is it, is it, am I having an experience that's way too um, challenging for me to be able to internally incorporate? Um, or is it so overwhelming that the people and, and, you know, the, you know, workplace or whatever can't, can't manage what's going on for me. And so both of those things come into play as to whether it's an emergency. Um, and of course, in an emergency, it's already gone past the point sometimes at which um, the things that you would normally have access to to help take care of somebody is, is going to be is going to be what works. And so there's going to be a little bit more need for like maybe say 24 seven, like tending and sort of like um, holistic practitioners. Like I think of teams really of people that can then kind of, depending on what's needed, you know, you wanna have a, a nutritional person. You wanna have somebody who's working like shamanically. You wanna have somebody who's doing grounding work, body work, breath work, et cetera. Um, so yeah, so in an emergency state is, is more um, intensified um, and needs more care. Um, and oftentimes that is when people get hospitalized. That is when people um, need like more, more interventions, but people don't realize that there's alternatives to, to that. Um, and why does it happen? Um, uh, on the side of um, spontaneous, um, I, think, I think spontaneous is actually a way of saying, we may not realize what the etiology is, but there is something that's happening whether it's a, a, something happening karmically that opens up. Um, maybe somebody's doing their spiritual practices and has uh, an opening, um, or maybe someone's you know, working with medicines and that would be more of like the induced form if there's practices that activate someone into these states. Um, but like I said, so if, it's, if it's spontaneous, then it's, it's something where there's a little bit of a question of whether it was consensual and of course, you know, my, in, in my newest piece, like the balance of non-duality, it's like, it, it depends on what level we're at and how to really honor the person's experience. Um, but that, yes, there is a, there is a, a place where it's like, we can really understand that there's, we're like lightning rods. So there is something going on, whether it's, like I said, the system, the direct system, the family system, or in the culture that is being channeled, that is being worked, being metabolized by those that are sensitive. Um, uh, and these are, the, these are the folks that I say that often go into spiritual emergence or emergency. Yeah. So in my life personally, I find that my spiritual emergence has been very beneficial to my outlook on life, my outlook on reality. It's completely altered uh, many of the things that I do and define myself as. So that being said, do you think that spiritual emergence is a desirable thing? Should people go for it? Should they attempt to, to try to achieve it? Or do you think that's sort of like, um, it's sort of like a dangerous uh, road to travel down. Mm -hmm. 
I think that spiritual emergence is why we're here. Um, and what I mean by that is that being in bodies and being incarnate, like moving towards wholeness, you know, a, a holotropic is one way to think about it. Um, moving towards integration, moving towards the full capacity and sharing of our gifts. Um, that is what spiritual emergence offers. And that's what I think um, the path is. Um, and I think that as long as we have, you know, people in our lives that can hold us and, and see us, and that's not a given. I know that. It's, it's, such a, it's such a blessing to have people that can see you, you know? So um, as long as we have those, you know, um, nodal points in place and we have some frameworks to understand what's happening and to kind of orient, then I think it is, it is desirable and I think it is, um, it is a deep way to live and it's a way to um, continue to expand ourselves. And I think, we're, I think it's necessary now too. I don't think we have a choice is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, you said the word holotropic, which is defined by Graf as moving toward wholeness. Um, now he described um, particularly psychedelics as nonspecific amplifiers. Do you find that there are, along with psychedelics, other types of nonspecific amplifiers that can induce these types of experiences? Definitely. Um... Like I said, and, and kind of when we said what what sort of causes it or what what um, activates the, these states, um, we think about certain practices that have been um, kind of cultivated over thousands of years in spiritual lineages, right? And and that is to achieve states, right? Expanded states, um, and so things like yeah, breath work, meditation. Um, yeah, and breath work, and by that I mean pranayama as well as like holotropic breath work, you know, or other variations of that. Um, and so there are ways that we can access these states naturally um, and with our own bodies. We don't have uh, endogenously, right? We don't have to take something from outside into our bodies. Um, and um, yes, there's a lot of there's a lot of ways to do that. Um, I think uh, trauma is less um, commonly spoke of as like, it's not a method, um, but it is something that we have to talk about. We have to understand that sometimes trauma does trigger these states also, and that there's a lot of trauma that's happening. And so um, whether or not people are intending to go into extreme states or going into expanded states, um, often that is also um, an amplifier. Yeah. So like I say, there's, there's sort of three types of trauma. There's the trauma that sort of sets the stage for the sensitivity, right? And then there's the trauma of the experience itself, right? Sometimes the, these, ex, these extreme states can be traumatic in and of themselves. And then there's the trauma of how it's held or not held. So there's like these layers of like needing to be trauma informed when we're dealing with um, with non-ordinary states. So how how trauma informed would you say a person should be, or how informed 
of these concepts should a person be before they start to navigate this world? Um, I wish that it was a requirement. And I know there's like undergrounds, plural, so that there's not necessarily some standard of what's required. But if I could have a wish, it would be that people, you know, take you know, trauma courses and understand the nervous system, understand the body, how the body holds trauma and, and you know, um, how those things are connected to psyche, connected to spirit. Um, and if we could, you know, do training in spiritual emergence and emergency um, and so that people aren't necessarily just jumping to like, this is psychosis or this is, you know, a mental illness. Um, and then uh, I would also say, you know, people being well-versed in the non-physical realms, um, being able to move in these spaces that are actual places that we are visitors to, like diplomacy, <laughs> right? Like high, like humility, diplomacy, like um, honoring needs and negotiations. And, you know, that. so those are the three areas, I would say, sort of the non-physical realm, trauma and spiritual emergence. Yeah, it seems like today, instead of informing ourselves with these concepts, most of the time, these experiences are seen as trivial, they're pathologized, people are called crazy. Yeah. And that often is what leads to a spiritual emergency. Like you said, it's the environment and the people around you, if they're not treating it in a way that is supportive of you getting through it and kind of transmuting that experience, then it often does lead to an emergency situation. Exactly, exactly. And I'm, I'm delicate here because I use the same diplomacy in the non-physical that I try to do in the physical, which is I'm not trying to alienate anybody by, by speaking on these edges, right? So what I want to say is like the reason education is so important is so that the people that are in their fear and in their like, oh my God, what do I do? We hospitalize them, right? Because they don't know that that's not necessarily going to be the thing that's going to be supportive. So I'm not trying to judge the people that, that are misinformed or um, ignorant, um, but it just puts even more of like a responsibility and the sense of urgency, you know, onto those of us who are doing this work to kind of get the word out more. And of course, like I am, I am in a lineage of like these amazing, amazing beings and we're constantly evolving the work. Um, but it is, it does need to come back to the forefront, I think, in the conversation for sure. And speaking of getting the word out, um, in what ways are you getting the word out? Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's online courses, um, and we're going to be expanding our offering, you know, um, as well with psychedelics today, but also awakening healers, which is an online course, um, which includes spiritual emergence, trauma, neurodiversity, um, and compassionate space holding it has a lot of resources as well for self-care. Um, uh, I just got uh, an article published in the Journal of Humanistic Psychology, which feels really huge. It's like my first one. So it's kind of like, you know, the threshold, you know. Um, And there's something too about um, being able to have these conversations in professional psychological journals. Like the fact that they're having, you know, multiple, you know, anthologies of extreme states experiencers and work and practitioners. So I think it's it's amazing that that the journal is doing that that work. So I'm 
just giving a shout out to, to them. Um, and uh, yeah, and hopefully I'll be uh, working on my TEDx application at some point. <laughs> oh, I'm looking forward to that for sure. <laughs> um, so in terms of the courses, uh, what exactly are the details of the teachings? Mm -hmm. Well, like I said, I'm trying to um, thread together a lot of lineages. So um, spiritual emergence is one, um, but also neurodiversity, the neurodiversity paradigm, um, which is started out um, with people who um, are on the autism spectrum, um, saying that there, there is another way of processing information and understanding the world and experiencing the world and embodying that just because it's not quote unquote normal, that actually normal is a system of oppression. Um, and so, so bringing that piece in, I think, with spiritual emergence is really, really important because then we can start to say, you know, who wrote the DSM, um, who's funding the research, you know, we need to ask the hard questions, sort of, like I said, the, um, the freedom from aspect of cognitive liberty, right? Um, and then also I, I do a lot of work with the, um, the Langian community uh, and the Gnosis Retreat Center project. So they're trying to, to raise funds to create a, um, a space, a center, a home, basically, for people to go through their experiences um, without um, medication. Um, treatment is how we treat one another. Um, like Kingsley Hall and, and things like that. So, um, so we're trying to bring in sort of Lang's work as well as Stan's work, and then also the neurodiversity paradigm and cognitive liberty. So threading all of those pieces together, um, I think that's all represented in Awakening Healers and will definitely be represented in whatever we do for um, Kyle and Joe's course too. So, yeah. Oh, and I have a book too, two books. <laughs> so um, my book, um, Holding Sacred Space, that is the one where I speak about um, spiritual emergence and emergency, my own, and also working with it clinically um, and working with it um, as a spiritual emergence coach and, you know, um, definitely bringing together a lot of my teachers um, and, and their, their work and, and sharing that along with what I've learned myself in my own process. Who, uh, who are some of your teachers and some of the more influential people on your outlook and your, um, your ability to do the work that you're doing? Mm, yes. So this is where I'm like, I'm going to go internal and just kind of, this is like the part of the prayer where we honor lineage. Um, so Stan, of course. Um, and the, the thing for me that was really powerful was that like, because I had been exposed to Stan's work in, in PCC before my spiritual emergency, even in the midst of it, there was some, some part of me that knew that there was something else, there was another way. And I, I, I owe so much of my, for, for lack of a better term of like freeing myself from the brainwashing of the pathology paradigm, right, to my PCC community. Um, and um, also Brant Courtright, who was in ICB, the Integral Counseling Psychology Program. Um, and he did beautiful, beautiful work with um, integral yoga and spiritual emergence and was my spiritual emergence mentor when I was in the therapy program. Uh, Emma Bragdon, who um, Kyle also um, took the SEC training 
um, which is the spiritual emergence coaching training through um, integrative mental health for you. And she's done amazing work over the years and um, also uh, incorporates the spiritist uh, traditions of working with the non-physical and the beings and their needs. Um, and yeah, Michael Cornwall, Nita Gage, um, Nita and I, um, she, she is a shamanic breathwork practitioner. And over the last six years, I've been able to assist with her, with um, Dina Tyler and Will Hall. Um, we, we assist every uh, summer at the Lane Conference. So um, yeah, and Will Hall and I have been um, working you know, closely together in, in terms of um, supporting the sort of ethical space holding um, and um, people uh, in those in those delicate vulnerable states to be um, taken care of properly. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that seems to be a problem permeating this space is the ethical um, treatment of people who are under the influence of whether it be endogenous experiences or exogenous experiences, exogenous experiences. Mm -hmm. um, so do you assist in any way people who have gone through traumatic experiences within that realm? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the recovery process is so, so important to have, um, have support and have allies, people who are trauma-informed, people who understand um, high control group dynamics also, um, so that they understand that when we're in such an open, open state like that, like the, the trauma gets in so, so deep. Um, so yes, being in, an ally, an advocate, um, an activist, um, and a supporter um, behind the scenes of people who are um, needing help that have been harmed in, in psychedelic spaces. Yeah, you're seeing more and more of this happening. You know, I'm seeing articles pop up all over the place, whether it be through ayahuasca ceremonies or breath work, um, all types of things where people are being abused. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they don't know that they're being abused because these states are so altering to their minds. Mm -hmm. um, so have you had people, individuals come to you uh, who have been abused? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. Um, definitely it is um, coming out more now. I think, you know, as soon as the bales start lifting and people start hearing their own story being told by someone else, it's like when people start to come forward, um, it allows people to start recognizing what's been happening um, and start to understand like this is not okay. And then the veils start to fall. The brainwashing starts to, to break down. Um, the internal um, conflict of like trying to make it okay and, and all of that starts to fall away and and then people start to reach out. And, um, and it is important to know that I'm a safe place for people if they have had those experiences and that I, um, I'm also a hub of resources for um, people if they want to go to like support groups and things like that as well. So, you know, definitely people can reach out to me if they, they need support around that. So what do we do about that problem in a more meta way? Like how, cause this could definitely halt a lot of the progress that these sorts of things have been gaining uh, traction on. So what do we do about this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And 
I, I like the way that you asked that because it's not assuming that it's going to, because I, I think there's been silencing that's been happening for a long time that people are like, don't say anything or you're going to ruin it for everybody. You're going to ruin the Renaissance. Right. Um, but I think what needs to happen is like we're, we're detoxing to make it cleaner, clearer, safer, better. Um, and if we didn't do this work, then it could continue to do harm. And ultimately it would, it would, you know, fall apart from the inside. It would, it would eat itself. Right. Um, because of, because of that. So, um, this is necessary work. And I think if anything, if we just, you know, keep putting these ethical, um, uh, sort of protocols in place. I'm not, I'm not saying that medicalization is the answer though, either, right? Because then we're dealing with big pharma and economics and patriarchy and capitalism and all of that, right? All those systems of oppression. But what I am saying is we need to have an independent body, right? Who might then not be beholden to these other forces that people could come and say, you know, I'm having concerns about this and that that would protect them if it's you know for the illegality that they're afraid of incriminating themselves that there needs to be more bodies like that i think um that that would be one way that i would say we could we could make some real progress and speaking of the medical model do you see anything that the medical model has right and that they're doing correctly Um, that's a really vast question because then we have to go back really far and ask about like allopathy and the history of medical treatment and mistreatment. And we look at Bob Whitaker's work and, um, see all of the abuses in the medical system, um, and how it has separated us from the natural world and um, our own bodies in certain fundamental ways by you know, fighting illness and da da da, da right? So for me, um, I think my focus is more on holistic and integrative medicine, alternative medicine, and bringing those things together in harmony with allopathic medicine, not medicalization per se, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely, yeah, because medicalization seems to be the way that things enter into our culture, because I feel that science seems to be the gatekeeper. And mm -hmm. as you, and you seem to have entered this field through biology, which is obviously a main science. So do you think that there's potential for a new modality that sort of takes, takes something from the scientific realm, but ultimately introduces a new way to deal with these types of situations. Yes, I mean, that is that is the vision. And, and so many of us who've had these experiences are carriers of this vision, whether it's centers, multimodality spaces, um, where there's all types of different healing that's happening, um, sound healing, body work, um, sort of, like I said, the nutritional aspect, like food is medicine, right? Um, nature, like getting connected to nature and herbs and just the indigenous ways. 
And we all have indigenous ways. I'm not talking about appropriation. Um, I'm talking about reclaiming our connection to the earth um, and our rightful place on the earth in harmony, in balance. So yes, I think as a carrier of this vision, there is a new way. And I think we are all holding a piece of that. And the more that we come together and share the vision, um, I think that the new will start to emerge. Um, and, um, and it is going to be bringing together everybody's gifts. Um, and that includes Western medicine, right? Of course, but it has its place and it's not the, uh, it's not, um, it's not the, it's not the only one and it's not the authority or authoritarian, you know, um, in this situation. So I think everybody's voice needs to be heard and, um, and we need to really look at the power dynamics and start to make some shifts, which is why I love spiritual emergence coaching because it's peer support. It's peer led peer support. Um, it's we're all experiencers, you know, um, and yes, we have training. Um, and I also bring my you know therapeutic and clinical training to my coaching work. Um, but it's not a power dynamic. It's not like I'm going to tell you what's true about you, about your life, about your experience. And here's what I think you should do. Because that, you know, that's, that's a violation of, of their, their own sovereignty. So, yeah. Yeah. I find that there is a fine line between sitting with someone and keeping yourself from imposing your own viewpoints and your own will on them and on their experience by telling them what they're feeling, telling them what they're experiencing. So how do you find the balance of sitting with someone going through a spiritual emergence process while not imposing your will upon them? Mm -hmm. For me, it's like, it's this, this exquisite attunement where it's like, I'm actually like, um, and I do this in my other work too, my energy work, where I'm like an instrument. So um, I'm picking up on what they're experiencing um, and then I'm being curious and open. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling this. Is that, is that something that you're experiencing as well? Do you wanna give voice to this aspect of the unspoken? Do you wanna tell me the story about this archetypal realm that you're experiencing because it's real? That's, that's the foundations that I'm saying to them, I see you, it's real. And please, I want to know more. I want to feel more. I want to, I want to be with you in it, right? And it takes a lot of grounding and stability and my own rootedness to be able to go into these spaces without like succumbing to those because it's very powerful energies people are working with, right? Um, and so it's taken a lot of practice and... Um, and so therefore the, the self-care piece and the, you know, doing my own practices and having my own healers and my own therapists and my own, right. To, to my own team, to be able to, to do that work. And we're also oftentimes dealing with the family system. So we're dealing with like, I'm holding this space for them. And I'm also, you know, you know, the mom is really afraid and I'm, I'm working with that or, you know, and I'm trying to navigate the whole system with them. Um, and one thing that I, I love about the Lang Conference is like uh, also uh, thinking about the team of people around them, right, um, is actually like the, the metabolic system, right? So everybody is um, potentially able to help support 
by metabolizing in their own way, different parts of it. Cause usually what happens is that everybody that's going through this spiritual emergency is taking on the whole system, right? It's like, they're dealing with the shadow of the, the system and they're metabolizing everything. Right. Um, so if everybody claims back, they're part of whatever it is that they need to do. And that's something that we kind of, you know, promote to is like, okay, what if, what if this is yours to do um, and sorting that too. So it's really important because it can be overwhelming, just the amount of data, the amount of uh, sensation and feeling that people are experiencing um, can be overwhelming. So to, to help ground some of that out, to help create safe space energetically for them. So that's the other reason I love working in spiritual emergence. Um, and as an energy healer or energy worker is because then I'm also helping them with skills to, to work with the energies that they're interacting with. Yeah. Yeah. It seems crucial that these types of things are done communally. Um, and I think that's one of the special pieces of particularly holotropic breathwork and breathwork workshops. Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about the benefits of having a community and performing sort of these ritualistic um, workshops within groups as opposed yes. to just by yourself? Essential. It's essential. Um, and what I love about holotropic breathwork or shamanic breathwork in the case that, you know, that I've been sitting up in um, and walking the floor with is that there's the breather, but then there's the still point, right? The sitter, and then there's the four walkers, right? So it's like, and then, so we have this container and everybody that comes into it brings with it whatever needs to be worked on in that space. So the space itself is an active alchemical vessel where we're doing this work and we're metabolizing stuff. And so if everybody's opening up into these expanded states, right, then we're all a team working together to work these energies. Um, and what I find is so beautiful about that is that sometimes it does get over, over flowing right and what it becomes so much for a person and then they have that support that can help move it help you know clear it right and then also we see it move through the field so there's something there and then it kind of like it goes over here to the next person the next and it's like this ripple effect of like something moving through and moving out um, or activating something and so um, I do think that, you know, the next Buddha is the Sangha, you know, so to speak there. It's like it, we are, a, we're the, the cells of the body and um, working together is, is so essential. And, and whether that's, you know, sometimes there is an appropriateness to doing, you know, solo work um, or having a sitter there is really important. Um, but I do think that there's some real power and beauty in doing these, these communal practices. Yeah, absolutely. Um, switch gears just a little bit. Um, let's talk a little bit about spirituality. Um, do you think that, or do you find that, um, these types of states coincide or induce a non-dual, um, sense of reality? So funny that you're bringing that up. Um, cause I think I mentioned it earlier that like I've, I just wrote a piece that was sort of a critique of not not the non-dual because the non-dual is what it is, but the way that it's held. Because sometimes what happens with 
um, if we go there too soon, it can feel like it is devalidating the experience of this plane, right? Or of the dual or of the, the relational dialectic. Um, so yes, I think we have access to those spaces, but I think we also have access to um, more compassion. And that's what we're not going to, to non-duality to, to do bypass, right? We're going to that to be like, yes, it's all connected. It's all connected and we're all, we're all a part of like this, like we said, this larger body, but not to go there to be like this plane doesn't have as much value or we need to escape or right. And then, and that can lend itself to disembodiment, dissociation, um, victim blaming, gaslighting, um, and not tending in the way that we need to, um, to some of these larger collective issues that are up right now. Yeah, and so I think we do have access to um, unitive states. Um, we also have access to hell realms and um, ecstatic realms. We have access to um, creativity um, and also uh, trauma, uh, not just ours, right? And so that's the other thing is when we're opening up into these space, there's spaces, it's like we don't really know what realm we're going to come into contact with. Um, and I think that's what, what I love about some of Stan and Rick's work too, was that they were um, looking at the transits at the time of these, these states, these experiences, whether spontaneous or induced. Um, and they were seeing the correlations, right? And um, into the archetypal dynamics. And I think that that's really useful, a useful tool, orienting tool also. Do you find that there's a way that you can direct whether or not you find yourself in a hell realm or a heaven realm? Preparation. Um, clearing. And so by preparation, I mean like on all levels. So getting clear, um, mentally getting clear emotionally doing what we can to prepare um and they talk about preparation sessions and stuff like that yes definitely by all means like have another practitioner that you're not in a power dynamic that doesn't know about trauma and spiritual emergence so ideally the guy that you'd be doing preparation with would have all of those things in place and would be an ethical guide um and that being the case then yes get the extra support to to do the preparation um and um but also like you know cleansing the the body channel right energetically nutritionally all of that so go in with um as clear of a vessel as you can um and then really setting the space and and i'm i'm talking about like sort of magical protocols here right that we're actually talking about this is a space like let's set it and let's put things in place so that we can create the highest efficacy, right? Of this being a, a useful space. And yes, if we end up needing to go somewhere, you know, challenging um, because that work needs to be done, some kind of clearing or some sort of access to something. Yes, of course. But then also have your team with you, meaning, yes, maybe there's, there's a, a guide or a support person and then a support team that's kind of on call, right? And then also the non-physical team. 
So all the guides and helpers, ancestors, angels, um, whoever it is that, that you feel called to work with. Um, and then, so you're really setting yourself up for having um, the most um, beneficial session. Doesn't mean it won't be challenging, but it will be um, a little bit more held in a way that, that feels um, supportive. Yeah, and there's definitely a difference between a bad experience and a challenging experience. And I feel like the difference mainly lies within the way that you prepare for it and within the way that you interpret it. So in terms of that, how prepared should a person be? Is there a such thing as over-preparation? Because obviously there is a such thing as under-preparation, but is there, can you over-prepare? If it gets to a place where it starts to feel like like anxiety provoking, um, then it might be going over the edge, meaning that like some, you can, you can, uh, think too much about like trying to control it. Right. And then, and then there's, there's a point where we have to sort of, uh, allow the universe to have a, a part in it. Right. Um, and so it's a delicate balance of like honoring, like, to me, it's like when we do preparation, it's like setting the altar, you know, in a way it's like everything has a place and everything has meaning, um, but I'm not trying to do it. If I try to do it myself, it's also going to go wonky, right? So it's like, yeah, letting go and letting, letting the universe have, have its role in the process. Um, uh, and you also mentioned how we interpret it. And I, I love that because of how we tell the story matters. Um, and that's what we're doing is like, we're creating a new story, whether it's with spiritual emergence, um, and our diversity, um, whether it's how we tell the story of what's happening on the planet right now. Um, and, uh, what happened in, in a ceremony space, you know, like interpreting it, um, that's part of the magic of it. That's part of the, the mystery of it is like, you know, um, allowing it to kind of do its work on you kind of like a dream. You know, if we jump too quickly to the analysis, we might miss some of like, it's kind of doing a process, a, an alchemical process. And then it's like, it's going to show itself what the meaning is. And it's not out of context either. You know, one journey, it's like part of a larger arc of work. So we have to see the whole context and see how, it, how it's a part of, you know, um, a process that we're in too. Yeah, and it seems that like you touched on a little earlier, um, that spiritual emergence is necessary for solving the problems that our society currently faces. And it really does feel that way when you're in a spiritual emergence process. It definitely feels like this is the type of thing that can help to heal the world. So I assume you feel that way? Yes. Um, uh, I, I don't tend to use this but it feels appropriate right now to say like there is a why when these experiences happen and uh, for me part of the reason is to be activated into our gifts to be able to be of service um, and getting on the other side of it meaning yes I'm always in spiritual emergence it's a constant process but I'm on the other side of the emergency so that I can then support others and educate others and right <laughs> Um, and so, yes, I, I do think that, that we're being called to action. I really do. Um, and those of us who are sensitive enough 
um, are going to be affected, whether we're feeling like this, this depth of depression or anxiety or existential grief, um, or if people are, are experiencing um, overwhelm, um, panic attacks, like all of these things, these are all so-called symptoms, right, of a larger systemic issue of, of imbalance that, that's happening. And so, um, yeah, the, the lightning rod experiences are happening more and more right now. Um, and I believe that that's, that's why, because the earth is, is calling out for us to, to create some, some big changes. Yeah. Um, well, Michelle, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, I would just like to end with, um, with a quote from Stan Groff. Hmm. And it is, a radical inner transformation and rise to a new level of consciousness might be the only real hope we have in the current global crisis brought on by the dominance of Western mechanistic paradigm. Yes, exactly. Hmm. Thank you so much, Josh. It was so beautiful to be with you uh, and your, your powerful questions. I'm just feeling really um, honored to have had this time with you and to be able to just re-engage in all of these ways and to get the word out some more. So thank you for this opportunity.